As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello. I'm Nurse Mo, and welcome or welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is where I share tips and advice to help nurses and nursing students thrive in school and at the bedside. I am so jazzed up about this very special bonus episode today. And on this episode, I am talking with Sarah Lorenzini from the Rapid Response RN podcast. And if you haven't checked it out yet, oh my gosh, it is so, so good. I can't wait for you to go check it out. You're going to definitely fall in love with Sarah. She's absolutely wonderful. And I can't wait for you to hear from her where on this episode, she's going to talk about the role of the rapid response nurse and kind of how to keep your head level in a crisis situation. So, Let's dive right into it. Here we go. Okay, so today I've got Sarah Lorenzini from Rapid Response RN. Very, very excited to have you here. Yes. So let's start, Sarah, by just give us a quick overview of who you are and your background, and then we'll dive in. Sure. So I'm Sarah Lorenzini. I host the Rapid Response RN podcast. Um, I love empowering nurses to feel confident and competent responding to emergencies, which is why I made the podcast. I love telling stories and the podcast gives me a great chance to teach through storytelling. Um, so my background, I started as a new grad in the ER almost 20 years ago. It's crazy Ooh. to say that out loud. I know. Um, Time goes somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I never thought I'd be an ER nurse. Honestly, I went to nursing school with zero intentions of working in the ER. Um, I wanted to do like labor and delivery or neonatal pediatric, something like that. Um, but then I got a job in the ER as a nurse tech, best thing I ever did, because I just fell in love with taking care of patients and their families on the worst day of their life. And that's exactly what the ER is. So I really, I really enjoyed it. So did ER for a while. Um, I found that I loved teaching, so started my master's degree in nursing education, and all my professors are like, you need to branch outside of the ER and expand your horizons. I was like, you know what? I also love cardiac. So I went and worked in the cardiac ICU, did that for a while. Then I was asked to be on the rapid response team at that hospital. Love rapid response nursing. It's like the perfect mix of ER and ICU and education kind of all in one. Um, I finally finished that master's degree, took me freaking ever. But then I got a job as a nursing professor. I did that for one year, but I wasn't quite ready to leave the bedside. I still yeah. really loved patient care. Um, then I was asked to be the ER nurse educator. I did that for five years, loved teaching nursing, specifically emergency nursing. And then COVID hit. And that's when I was like, you know what? I love educating, but I can't talk about donning and doffing PPE anymore. <laughs> I want to be like in the trenches with my team in the PPE, helping these COVID patients, fighting this pandemic. And so that's when I went to the leadership of my hospital and I actually started the rapid response team at my current hospital. Oh, wow. So I lead the rapid response team now. Um, 
And then I missed being an educator. I was like, man, I just, I just like it all. <laughs> so um, my husband was the one that's like, honey, why don't you start a podcast? I was like, me? I know nothing about podcasting or audio or anything like that. I don't have a space to record. But here I am uh, a year and a half later in my closet with a microphone <laughs> making podcasts. Um, and I get to have a chance to still be an educator um, because yeah. I really do enjoy teaching. So yeah, that's my journey. Um, ER, cardiac ICU, rapid response nursing, nursing educator, and uh, podcast host now. Okay, so... For people who might not understand what a rapid reno rapid renounce, wow, I've had a lot of coffee today. Can you tell? <laughs> For people who maybe don't know what a rapid response nurse does, can you tell us what that role is and maybe why it's so important? I'm interested to hear that your hospital didn't have one. And that's yeah. kind of cool that you started that whole program. Sure, sure. So um Outside of the hospital, like pre-hospital, there's an emergency, you call 911 and the paramedics come. But we don't call the ambulance service to come into the hospital. So there's an emergency in the hospital. There should be a system set up for response to emergencies. The patient's admitted for belly pain. Oh, but now they're in septic shock. Who do you call for that? It's a rapid response team. Um, my hospital prior, we had a system in place. Like the ICU charge nurse would come to all the rapid response calls, but uh, we wanted to have a dedicated rapid response team. So I am out of the numbers. I don't have a patient assignment. My assignment is the entire hospital to be there to respond to and prevent emergencies. So as far as what a rapid response nurse does, um, we are just all over the hospital helping out, educating, um, doing proactive rounding, responding to emergencies, everything from a rapid response call to a stroke alert, to a heart attack, to a sepsis alert, uh, massive transfusion protocol, it, whatever comes in that's an emergency, we're that extra set of hands, extra set of eyes. Um, we have clinical expertise in critical care. And so we're the ones that are called upon when there's an emergency. So we literally rapidly respond to emergencies all day long. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, right? That is perfect. Yeah. And then in addition to like the overhead calls for like a sepsis alert, nurses are calling you too to say, I've got a patient oh, yes. who's deteriorating. I need help. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So at every hospital has a different system. So I can't speak to all hospitals. At my hospital... If your patient is crashing, you can call a rapid response and that's going to activate a rapid response nurse, um, a respiratory therapist, phlebotomy, an ICU provider. So like the nurse practitioner, PA or physician in the ICU, you get a whole team of people responding. Mm -hmm. That's if they're crashing. But sometimes there's that nursing intuition that something's wrong, but the vital signs haven't quite indicated it yet, right? Like, oh man, their, their belly looks different than yesterday or they're breathing weird or I don't mm -hmm. like how their eyes look. They weren't, they weren't glazed over like that before but the vital signs are fine. So for those situations, when the nurse just has that concern, they can call, we call a nurse consult. Um, they can text us or call us and say, hey, well, you can look at 45 whenever you get a chance. And we'll come to those and evaluate the patient. Do they need an intervention? Can we do something proactively to prevent them from declining? Or is this a legit emergency and we need to call on the whole team at this point? So it just gives nurses that extra resource, that like backup of like, um, I'm not sure something's wrong, but I'd like to check. Yeah, <laughs> I love that having for. that. I do that all the time with my I mean, coworkers. <laughs> yeah, I, like I think about it as a new grad, I remember seeing like a diaphoretic patient and thinking, oh, that doesn't look good, but their vital signs are okay. Like, should I be telling someone that this patient's all sweaty like that? Are they about mm -hmm. to puke and that's why they're sweaty? Or are they about to die and that's why they're sweaty? Like, I, I really don't know like, as, yeah, as a new yeah. person, you know? Um, or like... Their vowel sounds this way. Is that good? Is that bad? Should I be concerned? Is this a normal finding? Is this concerning? Like, there's so much that you just 
the textbook can't quite speak to all of those nuances in healthcare. And so everyone on the rapid response team has years of experience in either ICU or ER nursing. At least on my team, we're all certified in our specialty. So CCRN or CEN. Um, and we love emergencies and we feel comfortable responding to them. Um, it's not scary for us anymore at this point in our career. So we're happy to come alongside nurses um, and help them advocate for their patient and respond quickly to whatever the, the emergency is. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I always loved having that resource, especially as a new nurse. You might not want to call the doctor just yet, but you Mm -hmm. want to talk to somebody who really has some good experience and can help guide you. So that is a fantastic, fantastic resource. So how about this? How about let's say I'm at the bedside. I've got a patient who's breathing 32 times a minute and just looks wrong. And I'm really nervous. And I call you and you come over and you check them out. And you are like, Oh, we got to call a rapid what happens after that? Good. Well, let me start by saying the fact that you recognize your patient is breathing fast, you get a high five because I see a lot of <laughs> respiratory rates documented as like 14 and 16. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're mm-hmm. actually being counted. Mm-hmm. But if you actually counted a 32 props just for that. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, High respiratory rate is the number one indicator of patient decline, and it often gets overlooked. So something's going on, right? What are they compensating for? Why are they breathing so much faster? Is it a respiratory problem? Is it a metabolic problem? Like something's going on, right? So then I'll come to the bedside and just kind of try to figure out what's going on with your patient. So when I first approach the patient, I'm doing a quick like five second assessment to determine, do I need to jump in and rescue? Like, are they they need to be intubated or have compressions or something emergent? Or do I have a minute to kind of talk with the nurse and get the rest of the story? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at worker breathing. How does their skin look? When I talk to them, do they look right back at me? Are they lethargic or unresponsive? Real quick data collection to figure out how sick are they? If I determine they are stable at the moment, then I'll have questions for the nurse. But if they're not, then we'll skip the questions and go yeah. straight to the saving of the life, right? So then if the patient's okay, they, you know, they're saying they're talking to me, but they're really working. So I'll ask the nurse, like, tell me about your patient. I don't need them to go into the entire bedside shift report. Like, oh, they had an appendectomy in 1975 and they have a left toe amputation and they yeah. take hydrochlorothiazide. <laughs> I don't need any of that stuff. Just the basics. They're here in the hospital for this. This is what happened in the last hour. This is their baseline. And this is why I'm concerned. Just the real basic stuff. If you're going to call a rapid response, I love if you can get a fresh set of vital signs just so we can kind of know what we're working with here. Mm -hmm. Um, you could even delegate this stuff too. So don't feel like you have to do everything yourself. You know, if you're concerned for your patient, call the right response, call the nurse tech to come in the room, help you get a set of vital signs, get a blood sugar. Um, we really just want a a basic history. Don't feel like you have to like know everything or even know what is wrong with your patient, right? Just know something's wrong. And then together we'll order more diagnostics. We will do more assessments. We'll look in the chart, how to figure out what's going on for your patient. So the big takeaway here is never be afraid to call a rapid or afraid that someone's going to say, oh, that's not an emergency. I would much rather you call and us get there and say, okay, well, this is actually all right because of this. This is a normal finding because of this. And then not have to do anything. Then you be afraid of calling, not call. And then I end up being called and the patient's blue, right? I'd rather right. I'd rather be proactive. So never be afraid to call. Or nurses will be like, I'm so sorry to bother you. I'm so sorry I had to call. I'm like, sorry, 
No, you get a high five for calling. You spoke up and you advocated for your right. patient. You recognized your decline. Like that's a that's not a sorry. You don't apologize for doing your job and doing an awesome job. Like it's okay if you find a patient who's sicker. That's what they're in the hospital for. That's what your job is to like um, evaluate that and, and let someone know if that happens. So I like to say that nurses are the eyes and the ears for the entire healthcare system. We're often the first ones to discover the patient is declining. And so it really is our responsibility to speak up and say something and not, don't just try to fix it on your own. I'd rather you speak up and get more hands-on help help to help the patient. Get help and make that phone call and stop apologizing for calling people. (laughs) Don't apologize when you call the doctor. Don't apologize when you call the nurse, the pharmacist, the lab, anybody. You're just doing your thing. Doing your job, exactly. So let's talk about some of the fear that a new nurse or even a nursing student or even a nurse who's been a a nurse for a while has Mm -hmm. when a patient starts deteriorating. Maybe you don't see anything obvious yet, but you kind of have that feeling that something is wrong. And then maybe you start to see abnormalities. Maybe their, you know, their blood pressure starts to drop. Talk about the fear around not knowing what to do when a patient is deteriorating. Because I know when when you're afraid, right, that messes up your thought processes. When you're in fight or flight, you can't yeah. process information. You can't think clearly. So what would you tell someone who really has that as, a, as an anticipatory fear or has had it happen to them? Yes. Okay. Well, I get this question all the time. People are like, how do you stay so calm when this is so scary right now? <laughs> um, and the answer is, I feel the exact same thing that you do because I have a sympathetic nervous system and you have a sympathetic nervous system. And both of us, when we recognize, you know, fear or emergency, our body starts dumping hormones in our system, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and it does make your heart race and it does make your hands a little bit shaky and it does make you breathe faster, but it also makes you stronger and sharper and And your hearing is better and your vision is better. Like everything is heightened because your body is trying to give you that extra oomph so you can fight the bear or run from the bear or whatever you need to do to, to save your own life. That's what the sympathetic nervous system is there for. But in this case, you're recognizing there's a threat, there's an emergency, and now your body is giving you that oomph to save someone else's life. So I think my message to new grads is, it's normal. If you feel like you're shaking right now, if you feel like you, know, you can't catch your breath or your heart's racing, you're normal. There's nothing wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you can't be a nurse or you can't do it. In fact, this is your body like trying to help you in the moment. And so over the years, I've learned to interpret those sensations of not, oh, I'm breathing so fast, I can't do it. Oh, my heart's racing, I can't do this. Oh, my hands are shaking, I can't do it. Instead, I say, oh, my heart's racing. Oh, I'm breathing really fast. That it's means game on. it's go time. This is like super Sarah time, right? I know that I'll have extra strength to get that patient up off the ground or to do the full minutes of uh, full two minutes of CPR or to recognize the little changes in the patient's skin color and their work of breathing. I mean, there's so many things that you actually get better at when that's dumping. If you can kind of reinterpret those um, responses in your body as a good thing, a helpful thing, not a harmful thing. Um, but I, just give grace to yourself because it takes time to kind of like rewire those pathways yeah. to think differently. Because initially it does feel overwhelming. It feels like you're having a panic attack or like, <laughs> like you just right. can't catch your breath after and running. Like you can't you know? do things fast enough. Like you want to do all the things, 
Right. And it feels like there's no way I can do this quickly enough to make a difference. Yeah. And the thing is, you alone and me alone can't do all the things. That's why we need help. It is a team effort. Like nursing is a team sport. So you did your part in recognizing the change. You did your part in speaking up and saying something about it. And now I would say just be available to answer questions about what's happened up to this point and then be available to do other stuff. I, I also wanted to talk to you about like, what are the first things you should do, right? So yeah, obviously if they're good. still, if the patient's still talking to you, okay, you don't have to like run around and start getting the crash card and um, you know, like put the backboard of the, not yet, they're still talking to you. But if the patient is truly near cardiac arrest or in cardiac arrest, I like to think of um, what needs to be done in like the first three responders, like in that in that order. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the first person to find the patient unresponsive and discover their pulseless, that person needs to call a code blue and start compressions. That is their only job. Compressions, compression, compressions. And okay, anybody this, can do that. Right, anybody can. And then the second person runs in the room and they see someone doing compressions. So the second person should think, okay, compressions is taken care of. Now we need to get you airway. So the second person needs to get the BVM, put it together and start bagging the patient. Uh, sorry, attach it to oxygen first and start yeah. bagging the patient. Okay, so someone's doing CPR, check. Someone's bagging the patient, check. The next person that runs in the room, the third responder, their role is to grab the backboard, roll it underneath the patient so we get good quality CPR. Um put the pads on the patient so they're on the monitor. And by the time they've done that, it's time to switch compressors. So then that third responder becomes the compressor and the first responder can do something else. I I like this way of thinking about it because often the first responder is say the primary nurse. Mm -hmm. And I do not want to come to a rapid response or code blue and the primary nurse be the one on the patient's chest because they need to be off the chest, catching their breath, you know, processing their thoughts, trying to think, you know, what just happened? It is normal, even for me, if my patient goes to think, oh my God, what did I do? Mm-hmm. What did I miss? What what happened? Nothing. It's it's never the nurse, right? It's always just patients decline. But of course, I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, was that actually Zofrin that I gave? Did I make a med error? Like, was what did I, did they have this before? Is this being, like, you're always questioning yourself. Yeah. So if you're the person to find the patient coding, yes, start CPR. But as soon as someone else comes in the room, please get the primary nurse off the chest so that they can have a second to like collect their thoughts and be ready to uh, be a resource to the team since they are the expert in their patient. And we don't know anything about the patient whenever we right, show up yes. as a rough response. <laughs> so it feels overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, so much has to happen. There's so many things. But if everyone can just pick or be assigned their one role, none of the one roles are overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can do compressions for two minutes. All you're doing is just pressing hard and fast on the chest. Yes, you can bag the patient. You're just getting a good seal and squeezing the bag every five or six seconds. Like, um, yes, you can give medications. It's just drawing them up and pushing them in. But if you're like, oh my gosh, we have to get the medications. They're doing compressions. They're doing, like, there's so many things. Right. right? You just, everyone has the one role. It's totally doable. And it feels much less chaotic in the room. If you just mm-hmm. do your one role, you don't have to like yell over people. So that, that's my big takeaway. Don't, don't for everyone, but all that has to be done. Yes, there's lots that has to be done, but that's why we, that's why we have each other, right? It's, it's a team effort to save a patient's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. 
You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science Podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. I know you have tons of stories to tell. Do you want to tell like a quick story to kind of give listeners a like an idea of, of how a rapid response nurse and intervention can have a, you know, make a difference in patient outcomes? Yeah. Hmm, let me second think of a, <laughs> a good one. <laughs> I mean, gosh, I, literally this is what I do all day long, so I can give you hundreds yeah. of them. Um, let's see here. So we had a nurse call us and say, hey, um, my patient, something has shifted. I don't know what it is, but I feel like they're breathing faster and she's a little more lethargic than she was before. I'm like, okay, we'll come see the patient. So we come to the bedside. Sure enough, the patient is actually still able to talk to us, but definitely like falling asleep in between when we're not interacting mm. with her. Um, she is breathing like 35-ish times a minute. So something's going on. Um, we didn't know what it was yet. But because she spoke up early and advocated, we called the doctor, we got an order for a CT. We, we as our response team, took the patient down to CT. As we're going down to CT, she's declining rapidly. Her That's blood so pressure is starting to drop. Um, her heart rate's coming up. Her respiratory rate's going even higher. Something's going on. Turns out she had perfed her bowel and she oh, was gosh. leaking bowel contents into her abdomen. And so she was going into septic shock very quickly. But... Because the nurse had already called us, we're already on scene, we're able to start vasopressors, we're able to prep for the OR to take her back to the OR. The patient made a full recovery. Wow. But it was really scary. I'm sure at the moment, like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my patient? Oh, they're they're crashing on the way to Chikaskia. Like, what's yeah. going on? But there was, there was all the right people in place. The doctor was already aware. We got the patient the medications they needed to keep their blood pressure stable. We prepped them for the OR and then we were able to fix the problem that happened. So... That nurse was like, well, thank goodness I, I said something. Because if she had not, she'd be like, well, she's kind of breathing fast and she's kind of sleepy. Maybe it's nothing. An hour goes by. What if mm -hmm. she had like fallen asleep and her pressure tanked and no one noticed, you know? Right. So the fact that her intuition said something's wrong, um, I feel like that actually saved the patient's life. Absolutely. And that she spoke up, which is, yes. which is awesome, which is awesome. Okay. What, any other common questions that newer nurses ask you about your role as a rapid response or just the whole concept of patient deterioration? Um, a lot of nurses are afraid that the doctor will be upset if they call a rapid response. They'll say, oh, the doctor told me not to or said that it's fine. <laughs> so I guess I just want to speak to that and say that rapid response teams and rapid response processes are actually a nurse-driven process. So if the nurse feels like this patient needs more hands on deck or more eyes on them, or they want to call in for like a, another set of eyes. That That is what the system is for. So it's not like a doctor's order to call her up response. It's right. if the nurse feels, I mean, obviously a doctor can call her up response too, but um, if the doctor says, don't call her up response for this, you actually can still call one if you feel like you'd like to have another person looking at your patient. That's, that's fine. I mean, obviously be cautious not to get into the whole like... Um, 
like doctor shopping. Like I don't like the doctor didn't do what I wanted. So right. I call it, not that. But if you're like, no one's paying attention to my patient or they're not returning my phone calls, um, feel empowered to call rap response. That's what we're there for. Nice. Um, the other question I get a lot is, um, how do you know when the patient is stable or not? Like, I knew something was wrong, Sarah, but how did you know that it was really wrong? <laughs> right. So I, there's a lot of assessments that we do or that we're taught to do as a nurse. I mean, like flexion extension of all the joints and pupillary assessment and bowel sounds and like, and there's the pulse, like all these things you learn, right? It takes right. you... 30 minutes and you're check off a nursing school to show that you can do all these things. <laughs> but least. I don't have 30 minutes, right? Your patient is crashing. So what are like the most important things that I would assess for? So when I walk into the room, the first thing I do is, hi there, I'm Sarah. I'm from the rapid response team. And I'm not just being friendly. I'm also assessing how does the patient respond to me? Mm-hmm. Are they awake and alert? Are they lethargic, attended, unresponsive? Tells me a lot about how stable the patient is. Second is, I walk up to the patient and I put my hand on them and I touch their skin because I want to feel how are they perfusing? Are they hot? Are they cold? Are they pale? Are they diaphoretic? Are they bottled? I can see so much from the skin. So if they're all covered Mm -hmm. up, bundled up to their neck, pull the covers back, lay your hand on their arm and actually touch your patient. Um, Gathering lots of information that way. How is their cardiac Mm -hmm. output, right? And then I also will put my hand on their wrist and it looks like I'm just greeting them like, hi, I'm Sarah. And like just an affectionate touch of the wrist. I'm actually checking their pulse because <laughs> I want to <laughs> feel their pulse and know how strong is it? How regular is it? Is it fast? Is it slow? Um, you can gather so much information just from feeling the pulse. If I don't feel a radial, the blood pressure is probably pretty low. Pretty low but if I yeah. feel a nice bounding pulse, I'm like, okay, at least we got a good blood pressure. So I'm gathering lots of information just from that. And then simultaneously, as I'm saying, hello, I'm Sarah, I'm from the rep response team, and I'm touching their skin, and I'm feeling their pulse. I'm also looking at their chest rise and fall, not just to get a rate like, oh, it's 28. Also to see like, how is their work of breathing? Are they yeah. working really hard to get that breath in? Is it little shallow breaths? How fast are the breaths? Is there a pattern to them? Is it lacking a pattern? Gathering so much just from that less than 20 second assessment. And so from that, you know, greeting the patient basically with my hands, <laughs> then yeah. I can determine, is this patient about to code on me? Or do I have some time to gather more information and do some more diagnostics? That's always kind of my role as rapid response when I show up. What is needed right now? Is is life-saving needed or is data collection needed? Um, and uh, then, I'll, then I'll choose which path I'm going to take. If they're not breathing, I'm going to start breathing for them, right? If they don't have a pulse, I'm going to start compressing for, for them. If their blood pressure is too low, then I'm trying to figure out what to do with their blood pressure. But if, I, if all those four assessments come back normal, they're awake, they're talking to me, they're breathing normal, then I say, okay, well, tell me about your patient and what's the history. Then we can start you know, gathering more information. Mm-hmm. But those assessments, I feel like, give you the most bang for your buck as far as what to look for in your patient that could be potentially not well. So speaking of data collection, and let's say you want to know about their recent labs. You don't want to know all of them. So what <laughs> would you? how would you coach a newer nurse on how to know which ones are going to be most relevant that Sarah wants to know when she shows up at the bedside? So it's totally patient specific, right? If their yeah. blood pressure is low, I'd love to know their H&H because I want to know, yeah. are they bleeding, right? If they have an arrhythmia, or even tachycardia, I'd love to know how are their electrolytes because electrolytes, as we know, can cause arrhythmias. Um, if they are having altered mental status, I'd love to know like what is their sodium, 
Do they have an elevated ammonia level? How's their kidney function? Um, if they're maybe not responding to me or they're breathing too fast, I'd love to know maybe like an ABG if that's been done. I mean, mm-hmm. it all kind of depends on the patient's chief complaint or like big yeah. concern at the moment. Because sometimes I don't care what the potassium is. It's irrelevant, right? But right, sometimes exactly. the potassium is very, very important to know. Exactly. <laughs> so it all just like depends. So think to yourself, like what's the worst case scenario or why might their blood pressure be low and think of labs that might kind of relate to that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're bleeding from somewhere, how are their coags and, and, and how is their H&H? Um, so kind of the labs that go with the main thing that we're concerned about at the moment would be how to answer that. So there's not a one yeah. answer for all right. patients. It really depends on the patient right. and what it's, the issue is at the moment. And a blood sugar. Get a blood sugar. Mm. <laughs> Every patient needs a blood sugar because blood low sugar. blood sugar causes so many symptoms that can be explained easily <laughs> with the blood sugar, right? right. Like and we'll easy go to, to fix. <laughs> we'll go to stroke alerts. Like, oh, the patient has slurred speech. That is definitely a sign of stroke. It is also a sign that they need some sugar. So, or the patient has, um, you know, altered mental status, or I mean, there's so many things that can be caused by just a little blood sugar that we can easily alleviate by giving some dextrose in the IV. So yeah, that'd blood be a sugar good thing to, every rapid response is yeah, my good opinion. Good thing to delegate after you call before Sarah gets there, get someone Absolutely. to do a blood sugar. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, I know that my listeners have loved hearing from you. You're a great educator and a wonderful storyteller and you're just fabulous. So I know they're going to want to head over to your podcast. So tell us again where they can find you. Sure. So my podcast is called Rapid Response RN. Uh, It's on all major podcast platforms. Every episode, I share a real life story, HIPAA appropriate, of course, of of a patient who was crashing and what we did about it. And then I break down like the pathophysiology and the pharmacology and the nurse's very important role in caring for that patient population. So it's, it's a little nerdy as I geek out on, you know, the deep dive of the pathophys, but I love that kind of stuff. And then you can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at the rapid response are in. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Really, really Absolutely. enjoyed this. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Mo. Thanks for having me. So what do you think? Sarah's awesome, right? So I know if you haven't already, you are heading over to add Rapid Response RN to the list of podcasts that you listen to. And I will see you back here in a couple of days for our regularly scheduled programming. See you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.